Let us pray. Almighty God, you have given your Son to be a light, to shine upon us, and to make us your own. Forever, O Lord, work in us to draw us near to yourself, because you have first drawn near to us. And allow us, O Lord, to love and serve you in all that we do. Grant us evermore that vision of our Lord Jesus. True God and true man, come to us to redeem us from our sins, that we might rejoice always at seeing the greatness of the work you have accomplished for us. We ask this all through that very same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So as I did last year on the first Sunday after Christmas, I do again this year. If you recall last year, I chose to take St. Chrysostom's homily on the Incarnation, one that he is famous for having preached on Christmas Day and read it and gave commentary throughout it just to kind of expand upon what he was saying to help us understand and lay hold of it. So like last year, I've selected a, a sermon on the Incarnation from one of the church fathers, from Pope Leo, Leo the Great, who served there as the Patriarch of Rome in the, if I recall correctly, around the four, in the mid-400s. He served and he led the church, and on Christmas Day he preached this particular sermon that I'm reading from and building on. This day also happens to be December 26th, the day after Christmas, which is also known as the Feast of St. Stephen, the first martyr. I'll be mentioning him as we go, go along toward the end, talking about his courage, talking about what he has done and what he did and why we would choose to honor him, this great St. Stephen, who stood up for the truth and believed in the word of God and looked to see even a vision of Jesus in heaven. And so we look into what Leo the Great has to tell, with, has to tell us and has to share with us this day. And his sermon simply begins, Our Savior, dearly beloved, was born today, that is for us yesterday. Let us be glad, for there is no proper place for sadness when we keep the birthday of the life, which destroys the fear of mortality and brings to us the joy of promised eternity. No one is kept from sharing in this happiness. There is for all one common measure of joy, because as our Lord, the destroyer of sin and death, finds none free from charge, so is he come to free us all. You see, Leo here at the very beginning of this homily is making the point that we are all sold under the bondage of sin. Because we are all born in sin to begin with. We're all united together in sin and alike have a sin nature that leads us ever into sin. But... There is one who comes to destroy that very sin in us. There is one who has come to take it away from us. The Lord finds all of humanity under this very curse. And so he comes that he might offer himself for all. He comes that he might destroy death itself. Thus death itself should be nothing to fear. For it is to be conquered by this babe who was born in Bethlehem. It is to be undone, yes, because he is the Lord of all things, and death cannot hold even him in his human form. And so St. Leo says, joy is to be our song. Joy is to be our response, because this one who was born is to be the one who brings life out of death 
for us. He brings eternity with him to us, for he is the eternal one entering into our temporality. And so eternity will swallow up the temporal, because eternity cannot be overcome. As St. John says, light has come to shine in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome that light. And so Leo continues saying, let the saint exult in that he draws near to victory. Let the sinner be glad that he is invited to pardon. Let the Gentile take courage in that he is called to life. And so Leo says, for the saint to exult, for he has been empowered to resist the sins that would drag him away from his Lord. He sees the victory coming. He sees the end goal. Freedom from sin, renewal from sin. The sinner, likewise, should be glad for his sins are pardoned. His sins are washed away. They are undone. Those sins that trip and cause him to stumble. He can be freed from them through the pardon that is found in the Son who has been born for us. The Gentile, the one who does not yet know Jesus as his own, he can take courage to come forward. He can take courage to come and receive into life, to be received into life from death that awaits him. He can move from that old life and receive the new life. He can be transformed from what he is in himself to one who bears eternal life in the here and now like we do. And so exult, saint. Be glad, O sinner. And take heart and take courage, O Gentile, for the Son has come for you. Leo continues, For the Son of God in the fullness of time, which the inscrutable depth of the divine counsel has determined, has taken on him the nature of man, thereby to reconcile it to its author, in order that the inventor of death, the devil, might be conquered through that nature which he had conquered. The Son came at the right time, Leo says, determined by God from eternity past. And what does he do in that coming? What does he do? He takes on our nature, the divine one, God himself, the second person of the Trinity. The Word takes on flesh. He becomes a mere man, but is no mere man. Even in his infancy, even as a babe swaddled and laying in a manger, he is fully God and fully man, this one person, Jesus Christ. And why might God do such a mind-boggling thing? Why should God himself be born of a virgin? Why should the word be made flesh to dwell amongst us? Simply that the devil might be confounded. That through the very nature that the devil, that Satan himself had overseen the corruption of, a nature he might have thought completely conquered, by his guile and deceptions, would thus become that which conquers him. The devil himself would be undone by the nature he thought utterly wasted and undone. On that day of Jesus' birth, human nature was brought forth once more without stain, that this stainless nature might undo the forces of evil around us. Those forces of evil led by Satan himself. And thus, that Satan might be thrown down, God the Son came down, and he lifted up our nature to a renewed dignity, 
His incarnation was the beginning of God's full infiltration of this world to conquer the one who thought he had conquered all. Satan is undone by God's coming down. By God taking on that very nature that Satan thought conquered, Satan himself becomes conquered. And in this conflict undertaken for us, Leo continues, the fight was fought on great and wonderful principles of fairness. For the Almighty Lord enters the lists with his savage foe, not in his own majesty, but in our humility. Opposing him with the same form and the same nature, which shares indeed our mortality, though it is free from all sin. Truly foreign to this nativity is that which we read of all others. No one is clean from stain, not even the infant who has lived but one day upon earth, according to Job. Nothing, therefore, of the lust of the flesh has passed into this peerless nativity. Nothing of the law of sin has entered. A royal virgin of the stem of David is chosen to be impregnated with the sacred seed and to conceive the divinely human offspring in mind first and then in body. And lest in ignorance of the heavenly counsel she should tremble at so strange a result, she learns from converse with that angel that what is to be wrought in her is of the Holy Ghost. Nor does she believe it loss of honor that she is soon to be the mother of God. For why should she be in despair over the novelty of such conception, to whom the power of the Most High has promised to effect it? Her implicit faith is confirmed also by that attestation of a precursory miracle. And Elizabeth receives unexpected fertility in order that there might be no doubt that he who had given conception to the barren would give it even to a virgin. And all of these things, the Lord enters into battle. For yes, from the very beginning of his birth, there was a battle to be fought. He came not in power and splendor with majesty and honor, but in great humility. He takes up our nature and form, sharing in our mortality, sharing in our ability to die. Yet he himself is without sin. He himself is without the stain that we have. He is without sin itself dwelling in him. And the Virgin Mary found no loss in honor, coming to know that this conception in her womb was to be caused by God himself, that his spirit would come over her and cause her to conceive. Yes, she was the mother of God. She was to be the mother of God, the one who would bear God into this world. God promised to make it happen, and so it would. And so she was the one to receive this gift for the world. My notes are mixed up suddenly. Therefore, Leo continues, the word of God himself, God, the son of God, who in the beginning was with God, through whom all things were made, and without whom was nothing made, with the purpose of delivering man from eternal death, became man, so bending himself to take on him our humility without decrease in his own majesty, that remaining what he was 
and assuming what he was not, he might unite the true form of a slave to that form in which he is equal to God, the Father, and join both natures together by such a compact that the lower should not be swallowed up in its exaltation, nor the higher impaired by its new associate. And here Leo gives us that wonderful paraphrase of those first few verses of St. John's Gospel. The Word, God Himself, the Son Himself, who has always been, for He is God and the One through whom I made all things has become a man. As has been said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And for what purpose? But to deliver us from eternal death, to deliver us from the curse of death. He can do this because in Him is life. Jesus is life itself because He is God Himself. His life becomes our light. He shines upon us that we might know Him, that we might become like Him, that we might be united to Him and thus receive this life and be freed from eternal life, from the eternal punishment that our sins rightly deserve. As Leo says, he bent down to take our humility upon himself. The glory of man is nothing in comparison with the glory of God. And yet, this God takes upon himself human nature. He takes upon himself what is nothing but humility, and yet, has no decrease in his majesty. That majesty is but hidden underneath. It remains perfect in itself, for the Son could never lose that majesty that was his from eternity past. There is no loss of either nature in the coming together in the person of Christ. Perfectly man, perfectly God. Complete humility, complete majesty. Brought together in perfection. The lower nature of man is not swallowed up and lost, by the nature of God, nor is the nature of God marred and lessened by his union with humanity. Such is the beauty of the incarnation. And so Leo continues, without detriment, therefore, to the properties of either substance, which then came together in one person, majesty took on humility, strength, weakness, eternity, mortality. What beauty Leo gives us here. Majesty takes on humility. The majestic son looks poor and lowly for our sake. The king takes off his clothes, so to speak, and puts on the garments of a beggar and so much more. In fact, he becomes a beggar for our sake. He becomes a lowly one, yet never losing his majesty. His strength in himself is traded for our weakness. Our weak form is taken up by God himself that we might be saved. And the eternal takes on our mortality. The one who cannot die takes up a form that can die. Perfectly united that we might be taken from sin and death. United together, this eternity to mortality brings an end to our mortality through his death and resurrection. Mortality comes to an end through eternity taking up that mortality. And for the paying off of the debt, Leo says, belonging to our condition, inviolable nature was united with passable nature. The inviolable nature of God has become united to a nature that can change, to a nature that can be ravaged by time, worn down by the necessities of this life. This God who is perfect in and of himself, who needs no other, this God who cannot change, 
takes upon himself through the Son and nature that is the opposite of himself. And so true God and true man were combined to form one Lord, Leo continues, so that as suited the needs of our case, one and the same mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, could both die with the one and rise again with the other. Again, as I've said, God cannot die. And yet this God who cannot die takes up a nature that can. God who cannot change takes on a nature that can change. Are you grasping why Leo would say rejoice? Why he would say there is no room for sadness on such a day of celebration as Christmas? When we look out to the long course of our own personal histories full of strife and struggle, to stop and meditate upon the glorious incarnation is to be changed from sadness to joy. Those realities don't disappear. The sadness doesn't go away, but it becomes renewed. It becomes swallowed up in the reality of God becoming man. They aren't diminished, but they are sharpened into something part and parcel of what God is undoing through Jesus. Sadness gives way to rejoicing because of the greatness of God's work in Jesus. The glorious taking on of human nature by the Son in order to take on sin and death for our sake gives room within sadness for joy to take root, for rejoicing to grow into full fruition. God chooses to take up a human nature in order to die. And through death to undo the reign of death and sadness and grief. His work will bring it to an end, for in the end we will see clearly what he has truly accomplished through that humiliation that is the incarnation. Through the incarnation that becomes the most glorious event in time. And so rightly, therefore, did the virgin, did the birth of our salvation impart no corruption to the virgin's purity. Because the bearing of the truth was the keeping of honor. Such then, beloved, was the nativity which became the power of God. And the wisdom of God, even Christ, whereby he might be one with us in manhood and surpass us in godhood. For unless he were true God, he would not bring us a remedy. Unless he were true man, he would not give us an example. And so without... Jesus being truly God, there is no remedy for sin. There is no way out of the sin nature that taints us all. Only through Jesus can we find healing. And through Jesus, we also receive a picture of what true life that flows from the Father looks like. A life that is filled with the love of God and overflows to all of creation. A love that sees the brokenness before us and acts to work against it. A love that heals all that it touches. Jesus looks with compassion upon the downtrodden. He looks with kindness upon those who are burdened by the sin in them. And so likewise, we respond to those who need mercy as ones who have received it. As mercy has been given to us, we seek to extend mercy to those who will be changed and receive it. We do not know who they are, but nonetheless, we move forward with the mercies of God in Christ that they might know of that kindness that will lead them to repentance. And so therefore, the exulting angel song when the Lord was born is this, Leo says, glory to God in the highest. And their message, peace on earth to men of goodwill. 
For they see that the heavenly Jerusalem is being built up out of all the nations of the world. And over that indescribable work of the divine love, how ought the humbleness of men to rejoice when the joy of the lofty angels is so great? Let us then, Leo continues, give thanks to God the Father through his Son and the Holy Spirit, who for his great mercy wherewith he has loved us has had pity on us. And when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together in Christ, that we might be in him a new creation and a new production. And so let us put off then the old man with his deeds, having obtained a share in the birth of Christ. Let us renounce the works of the flesh. O Christian, acknowledge your dignity. And becoming a partner in the divine nature, refuse to return to the old baseness by degenerate conduct. Remember the head and the body of which you are a member. Recollect that you were rescued from the power of darkness and brought into God's light and kingdom. By the mystery of baptism, you were made the temple of the Holy Ghost. Do not put such a denizen to flight from you by base acts. And subject yourself once more to the devil's thraldom. Because your purchase money is the blood of Christ. Because he shall judge you in truth who ransomed you in mercy who with the Father and the Holy Spirit reigns forever and ever. Amen. And so as St. Paul said in our reading in Galatians, we are no longer slaves, but we are heirs in Christ. Thus we are given the power of the Spirit to turn away from the sin in us and to flee from temptation. And so flee to God's kingdom. Flee into his light that sin might be driven far from you. When you sense that sin encroaching, call it what it is, that it is sin that will drive you from Christ. And so lay hold of Christ himself and his light that sin might be driven back into the darkness. The Holy Spirit has been given to us through baptism and faith, and so trust his work in you to create in you the life that comes only from God. And that, my beloved, is the life of St. Stephen. That is the life he embraced as he was called to be a deacon to serve in the church, he went forth as an evangelist preaching the good news, preaching the gospel there in Jerusalem. He embraced the life that was his through Christ, even as he was being stoned. And so this day that is the Feast of St. Stephen, we do well to remember him. He gave witness to the greatness of Christ, and he was a bold speaker of the reality of God's truth to those around him. For the Jews of the, the, that day and for those around him, they wanted nothing to do with that reality of God, that true work that God was doing, the work that he would accomplish in making a people for himself through Jesus out of all the world. Even in death, St. Stephen cried out for forgiveness to come down upon even those who were stoning him. Do not hold this sin against them as he looked up into heaven and saw Jesus standing by the throne, he cries out in praise for his own persecutors. This is the power of God at work through Jesus. This is what Jesus came to do. This is what God came to do in the flesh to accomplish, to bring life and change and transformation. He became flesh that we might be changed. 
He took on flesh to end the reign of sin in us and make us his people. And so hear him this day. Do not stop up your ears as those Jews did at St. Stephen's sermon. But listen for the grace and the kindness that flows from this God who took flesh for us. Through him we are changed and transformed into a new people. You are transformed from a sinner into a saint. You were given the spirit that you might walk before him in holiness and joy. And so rejoice. Rejoice all you his saints that you have been changed. That the work of the father has wrought through his son. That that work has been done in you. That his son was born for you. And so may we rejoice and receive this son who is both God and man. May we always be united to him more and more and receive his life. Receive the very life that is his in and of himself that he pours out to us this day and every day that we turn to him. And so may we rejoice and receive and be changed forevermore in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.